Hey, Ryan. Yeah. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. What the hell are you doing? Welcome to AT Banter, the podcast where we discuss anything and everything regarding the world of assistive technology. With our hosts, Steve Barkley, Robineau, and Ryan Fleury. Now, let's banter. All right, and hey, welcome to a little thing we like to call AT Banter. Banter! Do we really like to call it AT Banter? I don't, well, or do we just I like call to. it AT Banter? You, well, really, you, you get enjoyment out of calling it AT I Banter? I do. I get the tingles. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's Monday in my head, Friday in my pants. <laughs> That's right. Uh, He's got the tingles. <laughs> That's right. Okay, let's turn that down. Okay, excellent. All right, well, I am Groot. <laughs> and joined today by Rocket Raccoon. Howdy. And Drax the Destroyer. I will kill you all. Uh, but really, no, I am Rob Minot. And with me is Ryan Fleury. Hi. And Steve Barkley. I will kill you all. What are we doing today? We are talking to Benjamin Schrogler from no. Skoog. Schrogler. Is it Schrogler? I think it's Schrogler. I, I was listening to another okay. podcast he was on, and, and well, we'll have to double check with him once he's on. Okay. I think Daisy's killing somebody. Daisy's, Daisy's locked up. So did you watch the debates last night? <laughs> um, no, but I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I saw enough memes on the way in oh, yeah. that, that gave me an idea of how it went, but... So what was your... It was, it was pretty entertaining. Um, you know, Trump was Trump. Hillary was Hillary. I don't think there was really any... Um, there was no big surprise. Um, you know, there was no major gaffe. Um, but the fact checkers just had a heyday. Oh, is that right? Oh, yeah. Because they were just throwing, throwing oh, stuff around. Trump was lying, lying, lying. You know, it doesn't make any difference to his followers. They're they're going to vote for him no matter what he says. But, right. uh, but you know, he, he said things like, uh, Hillary said, uh, you know, said that he had said that um, global warming was a conspiracy uh, by the Chinese to make uh, <laughs> um, U.S. Uh, production less uh, um, competitive. He goes, so I never said that. So, you know, today, the, his tweet is all over the place where he actually said that, exactly that. <laughs> and... Uh, um, the, his uh, campaign has deleted that tweet from his uh, Twitter timeline now, but I mean, it's out there already. Yeah, they need uh, to realize the internet's forever. Yeah. The internet never forgets. Yeah. We're very happy to, to have with us uh, Ben Schergler, uh, who is the creative director and co founder of Skoog Music. Yeah. Hi there. Uh, thanks for. Uh, and where, where actually are you right now? I'm in Edinburgh right now. That's where we're based, up in Scotland. Uh, and it's about seven o'clock in the evening, and it's just starting to actually get dark here, but it's been a lovely autumn day. Nice. I quite uh, quite enjoyed Edinburgh when I was there years ago. I was, yeah, I was ter- terribly amused by the old city, new city thing when your new city was older than our country. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's quite a lot of uh, that. Did you come for the festival or just uh, to visit? Or No, we were just, uh, we, we kind of drove around uh, the UK for a while. We uh, mm-hmm. uh, 
started out down in uh, London, then went through Wales, took the ferry across into Ireland, went into Northern Ireland, and then took the ferry back across again, and and then uh, drove over to Edinburgh. That's quite a drive, yeah. So, uh, what was your what was your top pick from Edinburgh then? Um, I really liked the Royal Mile. Um, just, uh, I, you know, I, I used to work on the Royal Mile. It was my first job, was working on the Royal Miles in in the. Um, I mean, we call them, uh, I suppose it was tartan tourist shops, but selling all of the kind of bits of tartan and kind of little uh, souvenirs and souvenir shops. I suppose that was my uh, that was my first working job was was selling miniature castles and bagpipes <laughs> and whatnot on the Royal Mile uh, <laughs> nice. in the early in the early nineties. Nice. Yeah, we did a we did a walking tour with a little little wee lady who uh, marched us around that town at an incredible pace. She was she was <laughs> a ferocious wee thing. Yeah. No. They, yeah. The the smaller the they've got a bit of bite to them. I'm sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, let's sort of step back and just talk about the Skoog itself, and just give mm-hmm. people who may be listening who don't know what the Skoog is at all, and just give them a, a base overview of what the Skoog is. So Skoog is, it's a musical instrument, and it was created from a research project back in 2006 that was a kind of combination of researchers coming together. It was the end of a long line of research to create a musical instrument for those unable to play traditional instruments with a specific, specific focus on children. So it's a piece of technology that was created specifically to address the needs of people who find it difficult to learn or play a more traditional instrument. And actually, the scope of Skoog, and it really impacts on what I'm quite passionate about in terms of, I think, accessibility, is that it's not necessarily about disability, although we did work a lot with different populations of um, students with uh, varying levels of uh, needs and sensory processing uh, challenges and these kind of things. But really it's about, you know, accessibility is about making it accessible to everyone. If you're going to be inclusive, you need to include as many people as possible. And that's really kind of at the heart of school. So it's a musical instrument that is easy to play, easy to learn, but specifically for children to engage in with through play, because that's how we learn. Um, and we learn better if we can get our hands on things, make some sounds and enjoy ourselves and have some fun more appropriately. So we did this research across uh, the UK and Scotland in various schools and prisons and hospitals and all kinds of places where people may face, face challenges in terms of being creative and accessing music. And we ended up after two years with uh, this strange uh, cube uh, is for want of a better word that's what it is this kind of cubic thing with kind of colored buttons on the, on each side or sort of domes poking out and that was our new musical instrument and a lot of people thought that's a bit strange but uh, what we experienced in working with um, all the different students and teachers and rest of working was was really having to go and think about music differently think about interacting and being creative with music differently and thinking about what it is that we need you know what what are the core kind of requirements so the one thing was to be able to be expressive and those have a level of control that allowed you to be uh, creative around that but it had to be physically accessible as well so you know there's a range of things to incorporate so we ended up with a soft tactile cube which is uh, connects to a computer or it can connect to an ipad the newer version and it allows you to create and control sound and the important thing about it is it allows you to create and control sound without any previous musical knowledge or skill. 
uh, but it still allows you to grow and learn and be expressive and actually play it to a, a high level. And what exactly is your background? My background, I'm a, a, a psychologist and a musician. I would like to say musician first, but it's psychology that has uh, paid the bills, so to speak. So my background is in developmental psychology. When I started uh, uh, Edinburgh back in the 90s, I, I was, I'm only interested in music. I've always played, I've been, been in bands and, and you know, been a performer. And the only way of dealing with the degree that I'd uh, signed up for was to find out how I could study music through it and engage in that. And the, where I found myself was a, a real crossroads and a kind of creative melting point in thought at that time around uh, early development and motherese and early communication. And Professor Colwyn Trevathan, who is uh, a, a real luminary, just a, a total inspiration, um, he is, was prolific in this area. And at that time in the kind of early 90s in Edinburgh, it was a real hotspot for what they were looking at with early development and how we communicate and develop socially and learn language. And they were using music as a metaphor to talk about these things. And I began working with them and I said, well, it's, it's not a metaphor. It, what the kids are doing here, what the babies are doing, what the mother's doing, this is music. This is improvised jazz, essentially, but not as you know it, not using the chord structures or the rhythms that you know, but using smiles and giggles and tickles and glances and hounds and gurgles and you know body noises and all these kind of things. So it was a kind of real multi-sensory ballet that was going on, but you could see the interaction. It was like watching a great trio or, you know, a great band playing together or, or a duet. And so I began working in this area of developmental research uh, using music um, as a tool really to explore deeper the kind of psychological development and then how we learn to communicate using this, these essentially musical skills. And music is built on those skills. Music is like a celebration of how we share time with other human beings. We've evolved at such a point that we can create art with it. But the fundamental skills are absolutely core to all of us in all that we do. And it's not just about sound, but it's really physically as well in our bodies. And there's a really important, uh, we should mention that later about when talking about those with physical challenges, how that kind of comes to play. But so I began working in this area and we developed a, a whole lot of research and we we're all very doing very well for it and everything and we all thought it was all very good. But we sat down in 2002 and we we're like, well, what, you know, we understand all of this research about how we learn to communicate and how it's really musicality that's at the heart of it. But the question was, what, we can, what can we do with that? How can we use this knowledge to actually do something positive to help? And that's where the idea of creating a, an instrument that really uh, was founded on these principles and really explored that core musicality that, and supported it so that kids could start engaging in music in a kind of instrumental way earlier and also support those who find it difficult and, and really be creative. And so that's where my background is. And I was part of this uh, kind of core team who then started applying for funding, researching, going to different councils. And that took a while. And in 2006, uh, Professor Nigel Osborne, who's an amazing, again, another real inspiration. And it's just, I think, you know, Edinburgh was one of these crossing points in a lot of different areas. There's Professor Devarthen in early development. And Nigel was working in, he just, you know, he was part of setting up a charity War Child. And he was using music to help kids in areas of trauma and music therapy 
and he was out in Bosnia and Herzegovina and, and, and that kind of Serbo-Croatian kind of conflict there. And he was creating operas with kids who were, you know, had been bombed. And, you know, it was just this, he was seeing music as this kind of great healing force and how to, it could lend in terms of therapy. And all that came together in this research project to say, well, look, let's, let's create an actual thing. Let's try and use what we've learned. I was actually um, a lecturer in the Caribbean at the time. I'd, I'd left Edinburgh and was uh, lecturing in developmental psychology in Barbados, which was a very nice, uh, very nice gig. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I came back when they, uh, they we finally got the funding, and we were like, "Well, look, this is this is a chance to do this." And what was really important about the research project, the, the core research project, was it was always about producing a commercial prototype. They, it couldn't be a simple, you know, an academic research exercise. And the other thing that was really, really crucial and absolutely fundamental to uh, hopefully, well, I feel is the success of what we've done, is that it had to be a participatory design project, which meant that we had to go and work with our potential users. And so the initial focus was uh, children with uh, physical or learning difficulties or uh, those in special with, with special needs. And so we spent days, weeks, months working in schools all over Scotland and, and for, further afield and just spending time in the classroom, spending time with kids, spending time with the teachers as well, trying to understand what we needed. And we took all kinds of fancy gadgets and gadgetry out there and that was all cool, but it wasn't until we started putting, you know, we noticed there were a lot of tactile kind of multi-sensory toys, you know, things that were malleable and were, you know, things that would invite touch either that were kind of squeezable or had a kind of fur or tactile kind of element, particularly um, in one of our real focuses was people who would describe it as very hard to reach. You maybe have quite um, have autism or quite, you know, profound kind of communication uh, disorders. And they seem to be really drawn to these kind of sensory toys. Um, and we could talk a lot about why that is. So we began putting these sensors and the electronics and stuff, these fancy things inside squeezy things. And that's when the aha, that's, that was the breakthrough. That was the Eureka. That was when we managed to connect with those guys that we had been trying so long to kind of engage. And, and it was just a complete light bulb. And from a psychology point of view, it just, just makes so much sense. And it's a very powerful and simple kind of medium through touch in that human beings are our principal role if you will, is to interact. Our main purpose, our design purpose, is to interact with other human beings. And other human beings are soft. We're squidgy. We're squidgy things. So, right? Some more than others. Yeah, some more than others, but even the really buff ones, they still are squidgy, okay? Uh, it doesn't matter how much you work out, you're still malleable. Yeah, I'm going to take your word and for that because I don't think going up to the gym and checking that out personally. Well, you know, yeah. there's something I always do in my lectures, but it, it, is, it, is, it is almost that core and simple in that we're, we're created to almost to communicate through touch you know we, we and we're designed to organic matter as it were is is soft to the touch and when you think about nearly all technology it's hard you know plastics metals clicky clacky not necessarily that inviting when you touch it you don't want to necessarily touch it more unless you're thinking about smoother curves and these kind of things but as soon as you make it squishy it makes you want to squish it <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. And as soon as you, if you then connect that sensibly, and that's the difficult bit to sound in terms of control. And, you know, we're still learning and we're still growing in that sense. 
But if you can make the interaction intuitive and sensible, so that when you squish, you create a sound and that sound does something uh, sensible as to how you're touching it, suddenly you have interaction and it's dynamic. So that was the other thing that was really important is, is that it wasn't kind of switch trigger based. It had to be contingent and kind of the squeezing had to be, make sense. So yeah, so we, we, we had that and then we started playing with different forms and, you know, we often get asked, you know, why the cube? Why, why a square? Why is it, why is it this really, why does it really not look like any musical instrument in this? Cause it's not like any musical instrument, but we, played around with lots of different things and the, the circle, you know, the sphere is, it is almost the most ergonomic form to hold with your hands. But there's also the fact that a lot of people that use Google that we were working with don't necessarily use their hands to play it, but that's not, that's an, another thing. But you know, the, the sphere, the circle is easy to, to hold and to interact with. It invites kind of picking it up. It invites, you know, bring it to the body. Um, but, the flats, the, you know, the, the square is such a, a simple form. So the sphere, we tried things in that, but it was very difficult to um, define physically different areas. How do you separate the notes on a sphere? Um, how do you make it easy to navigate? How do you orient the sphere in such a way that it's, you know, I know where you know where you are on it and these kind of things. Whereas, so we started playing with different forms and shapes and you could have more complex and less complex, you know, polyhedrons, but the cube is a really robust kind of physical cognitive form. It's really easy to understand and it's easy to understand just simply with your hands if you have low vision and you can feel, you know, each side right. is very distinct from each other uh, and the different dimensions. It's roughly hand sized a skook because, you know, that is one of the, a large number of people do interact with their hands and we don't want it to be, you want it to be so that, you know, you're really, each side is kind of separate from each other. So this kind of for, for simple building block form is really easy and intuitive to grasp for, most, for, the, for many users. And the buttons that project from it are a play on the sphere. So it's really taking probably the two most simple forms, a square and a sphere, and combining them in a way that it gives you a huge range of interaction possibilities and in, Bites. So the corners can be pinched, the edges can be plucked, you can press and stroke the flat sides, the buttons you can pinch and press. They, it's called affordances that in psychology, it invites different actions. And so instead of just being a flat key on a keyboard that kind of just says, well, you can do one thing with me and that's it. Right. This just offers to you so many different things and suggests different things to do with it. And so you start touching it and playing with it and that's when you begin to play and learn. So we released the first Skoog commercially in 2010 and it's now 2016 and we're on version two. So let me just step back in and talk a little bit about the design. Was, was, yeah. was it a real technical challenge to, to given that it's a, it's a soft, malleable design and that, and not only that, that it's touch sensitive, like, was that really, yeah. was that a hard thing to develop? Um, it was, so the, the tactile thing, you know, we, 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 we was, um, I mean, I suppose, and this and this is this is a a frustration experienced by people we work with. I think uh, in the commercial sense, I'm I'm not technically a designer. I'm a obviously I'm a musician, a psychologist. But I mean, I'm, the psychology that I'm involved in, reference to ecological psychology, is kind of the core principles of design. You know, in terms of how humans interact with other things. But I'm not a designer by in terms of being able to make 
things from manufacture. So, you know, we knew we wanted to do something soft and tactile, but it turns out that soft and tactile is quite difficult to uh, control and manufacture. And yeah. at the same time, we, you know, we were so clear that we needed to not have seam lines because they would in, in they would interrupt your your joy and your interaction with it. Particularly if you're, you know, talking about someone who's non-verbal, you can't have bits that are poking out. You know, it's got to make sense. It's got to feel right. And when you say to a manufacturer, like, and they're like, well, what's wrong with this? And they say, well, it just doesn't feel right. Then, you know, you can imagine their frustration. And like, well, you know, give me a number, give me a, give me a dimension. Right. And you're like, well, it's, uh, it's not the right, uh, there are sure factors they're called in terms of tactility. But so, yeah, that was a real challenge, but uh, we learned as we went. Um, we were lucky we found in the first instance, and we still make it, and it's still made in the UK, it's still made in Scotland. Uh, the first sort of partner we worked with, they made stress balls. So simple, squeezy foam stress balls. And right. they were uh, willing. Well, what happened was is that they're actually they're an interesting firm. They used to make orthopedic shoes for uh, elderly people. And the problem was that they were too good. So they lasted too long. So people only bought one pair. So they had to diversify. Um, but they were very skilled in what they did with foam. And we found them, I can't, remember, I can't remember exactly how, but just really, you know, through the, the wonder of the internet. And we said, look, we've got this crazy idea. We want to make this thing. And they came up with a way of making it. Uh, and it was very expensive and very difficult. But the original Scoog was, and that was reflected in the original Scoog's price. Although, you know, the, the software and things we evolved with it, we tried to build on as much value as we can. And it was still um, cheaper than some other devices that, you know, do different things. But yeah, it was the, the tactility and the touch sensitiveness was difficult. Um, there was an element in the first Skoog that where we were able to move quite quickly because we used off-the-shelf electronics uh, in terms of the sensors that were used in it. But that presents its own problems in terms of not being able to advance those in any way. And in the new Skoog, the, the type of sensor and the IP inside is all actually, we've created that from scratch. Um, so that we can do more with it. Where the, the current hardware can do a lot more than it's doing, if you know what I mean. We're right. looking to keep releasing new additions to the software that add a functionality and stuff that we just wouldn't be able to do with the, the old version due to the kind of, the, the hardware was locked down as it were. So yeah, making it touch sensitive, it's just, in, it was, you know, it was imperative because of this kind of primacy of kind of touch and interactivity and, but you know, we, we we were lucky to work with some really great partners and um, yeah, I suppose serendipity in terms of the sensors that we were using. And it's also to do with the, um, the actual form, this cubic form, actually um, it's, it's, it's very simple technology. The cube itself is part of the technology in a way, if you like, because it actually creates uh, the direction in which you interact and press with it so it starts to create a directional force that then is almost funneled by the structure of the foam if you see what i mean yeah so if it was just a squeezy ball you'd squeeze it and the whole thing would compress whereas because it's a square and you're forced to press on one side then it only moves in one way or it only moves in another you know so it kind of defines how you interact with it it offers you the opportunity to do that but physically it kind of channels the the force if you like uh, and it works as a, a spring in, you know, in a way and an amplifier and that, that's useful in terms of doing the sensing. So um, 
again, it was, I think it was working with the kids and them like almost, you know, bringing this tack, this idea of squeezable materials to us. And whilst they are challenging to work with, they actually bring a whole lot to the party in terms of creating different uh, sensory kind of arrays. When you talk about um, the sensors that are in the Skoog, what, what type of sensors are actually in there? So the new Skoog has got, um, it uses um, a magnetic sensor. So um, it, it actually senses changes in magnetic field. Um, that's fairly standard. Uh, and in the old Skoog, it was just a, more of a straight up physical. It was just sensing movement. So it's kind of not a strain gauge as such, but just displacement okay. of, of parts within the Skoog, much like a joystick uh, being moved, but a squishy one. Is it, is it a single sensor? Are there multiple sensors in there? Uh, there in the current one, there are multiple. Um, and in the old one, it was a sort of an array, but a single unit. It does create a, I mean, it, it, it's a, again, it's a, it's a property of using this kind of tactile material that then creates almost like a, it's almost like there are, yeah, it, lots of sensors in it to deliver this kind of array, but it's, it's, it's to do with the, it's a combination of the foam and the, the sensors that you use. And so given that uh, there's a there's a software suite that, that goes along with the SCOOG that allows you to, to do everything from sampling to uh, just setting up notes on the different buttons, uh, mm -hmm. I guess when you were originally developing it, it was pretty much, it was just meant for, to, to hook to a PC. Yep. But now with tablets, have you found that that it's it's gotten even better because now it's a lot more portable yeah no i mean the the, the sort of growth of tablets in education I and mean, so we you know we really sort of you know, we launched in 2010 but we really kind of more got going by about 2012 and at that point is when tablets really kind of exploded in education and particularly in special ed you know let's uh, right. uh, you know thinking about that as a focus and you know the, the portability and the, the different uh, the interactivity, accessibility, all those kind of things come to play, and also the wirelessnessness. You know, uh, particularly in a classroom where you've got a lot of different equipment, having something that you, you can just bring to hand and get access to through a touchscreen just is you know it was it was it was paradigm shifting and, and groundbreaking and all these kind of things. And we knew then that you know we really needed to make this thing wireless and we need to make it connect to these devices. So at the moment, uh, you know, it is just on iOS, the tablet, uh, iPad and iPhone, but we are working towards um, the Android connectivity and looking at a wider um, kind of space on that. It's just a, a matter of time and resources, but we are working on that. But yeah, the the portability is great. And also it, it's there the, the environment now for development with, you know, different types of apps, whether it's for Chrome or for Android or for iOS, um, you know, stuff is moving quickly. People are doing a lot more development. It's much easier for people to create, you know, bespoke solutions or create, you know, creative kind of outputs. And that just makes a really um, inspiring and a really um, uh, active kind of community where you can, you know, things move quickly. Uh, you can request features from other developers and it's just more there's more accessible content uh, not necessarily in an accessibility way but just to everyone and there's there's so many more apps and different things and the kind of app approach to software and an app is just a program like a program would run on a pc but this idea of i mean apps are very much well 
often they're they're focused on doing one thing well and, and i would say a good app is that you know it has a a clear task and you use it to do a job and then for another job you use a different app and it may be from the same suite or family but they're quite focused you know little packages and that really lets, helps you focus so the whole the whole environment in that is um i think really great as a developer um and the the you know as a platform it affords you a lot in terms of support and the, the stuff that's available f both for your users as well in terms of content and you know different things to interact with and, and a lot of these being free uh, and uh, low cost and there's there's a problem around that uh, in terms of a lot of people nowadays don't see why they should pay for software or why they should pay for apps and that's that's difficult um in term in terms of the, the kind of the yeah the, the businesses that are built around that you know you have to maybe sell services or additional things because there is a a mindset that you know apps should be free or you should at least get a free version of these kinds of but that's that's moving and changing as well and that's just one of those challenges that we all have to face so and initially did you see it more as a as a developmental tool and initially i mean the, the core focus initially was as a uh, as a, a tool for enabling orchestral inclusion. So quite a high, a high goal. So to be able to, to enable a student who is unable to play a violin to take part in an orchestra or band kind of situation and be able to be expressive and be on a level footing with their peers to, to you know, as, as best as you can and really be able to play and express themselves and play with everybody else. That, was the kind of core initial goal and, and i've i've seen that happen many times with uh, with skook um it's not necessarily the main way that it's used i would say it's more used as a probably a developmental tool as you say but you know to support kind of musical play this core idea of musicality which is really where it came from which is you know great that it is actually being used in that way to support and help people engaging with their kind of inner musician engaging with a kind of level of musicality that is is more about just kind of basic human needs and, and comfort and development but the the original goal you know was to and that's why in the school kind of pc software um which is still the kind of same platform as we started with originally what's the, what we've used in that and what was always a kind of key thing was using physical models of traditional instruments so there's brass woodwind percussion and strings in there the reason they're in there is that specific view of being able to say right you're in the brass section or the string section or the woodwind section or, or percussion section of, of, of the band and let's help you be there and actually the, the, the first concert we did we had uh, two students from hillside school in Kilmarnock and they were um playing in the brass section in glasgow rural concert hall and uh, yeah um they they did amazingly and a nice and a piece that nigel osborne wrote What's the most uh, complex piece of music you've seen created on the Skoog? The most complex piece of music would have to be Love and Money, uh, performed by the um, Headspace Ensemble. Uh, you can look these guys up there. It's Clarence Adu, who was a professional trumpet player and suffered in a um, tragic accident, became quadriplegic. And he found his way back to music with the support of his friends, uh, one of whom is, is Nigel, who's been involved. He, he, Nigel keeps cropping up all over the place, by the way, you'll find in the story of Skoog. He's quite a, quite a man. And uh, they 
has worked with various people and another chap, Rolf Gelhar, who um, is a real pioneer in music technology right at the right at the cutting edge and has been since the 60s. He got involved and created this bespoke system for the clarinets where he uses a head pointer and head tracker. And we created a platform for him then. And the piece, La Romani, was uh, written by Nigel for the 2012 City of London Festival. Is it 2012? I think so, yeah. And it was, it's essentially a, a modern contemporary piece of music. There's a combination of things going on. There's some scooging. I don't think that I don't, the physical tactile scooting that was played by two students from um, the Royal, Concert, Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. And I think that bit is not in the clip that I've got recorded. But the clip is of Clarence using a breath controller to play through the Skook software. So it's using these physical models as well and um, some uh, bespoke arrangements. But I can, you know, that would be the most complex. There's, a, there's samples from Russian radio going on. There's some crazy horns, uh, percussion, all, all sorts, trombone and technology all kind of playing away. Um, I think... I think the other thing I was I would say that's probably the most complex piece. It's a lot going on, but I would say the most um, I don't I don't know whether what the right word is, but the most kind of identifiable kind of true piece of music that really is kind of a piece of music for Skoog would be a piece called Technophonia, and that was composed by Oliver Searle as a commission with Drake Music Scotland. And it was a piece uh, based around exploring these new technologies. And it was Skoog, Soundbeam, uh, Wave Drum, and a couple of other things that they were using. And he incorporated them into an ensemble of um, stream musicians and these four um, young musicians who happened to have disabilities and uh, access different ways. Stephanie Forrest was the Skoog player in that. And the amazing thing about that was, you know, she started off, you know, not playing an instrument. She identified with Skoog, began getting lessons in Skoog on a weekly basis, and then was performing in this uh, ensemble as a Skoog musician and this part, uh, several parts. And I've got there's several recordings also we can link to of that on YouTube where you can see. And in that piece, she actually, I think, in that piece is, is more interesting as well because it makes use of the kind of color coding and the use of the kind of color type score that we can produce or that you can use with Skoog. So it's a really playing off all elements. So she uses color coded kind of blocks of color to play the specific composed melodies. She's not reading music in a traditional sense, but she's reading and playing music. She had to, re she repeated the performance at the Conservatoire down in London at the, uh, the Tay and various other places and they toured with it and so you know she had music she had to rehearse she had practice and, and deliver and, and watch that several times and it's a beautiful beautiful piece so they would be my two standout points and have any users really surprised you with creative uses of the Skoog that even you weren't expecting yeah. there's a lady that plays it with her armpit is <laughs> uh, a teacher of a primary school and she does this crazy thing she gets the kids to chase her and, and she kind of squeezes it under her arm and it goes crazy and she they love it. So <laughs> in terms of physical use of it, that that really surprised me. Um, I've been surprised a few times by having it thrown at me by students. Uh, <laughs> and luckily it's soft enough, but in, in a kind of fun, slightly fun way, but playing on the, you know, kids that don't want to get involved and say, hey, play this. And they're like, I don't want to play it, you know, and they maybe push it away or possibly throw it at you and you catch it and it makes a noise and you 
tops it back and it makes the noise. And immediately what was um, rejection turns into a communication and, a, and an exchange. And you know that then that's when these you have these turning points in your relationships with students like this. And so they may have, their initial reaction may be to push it away. When they push it away, it says something back to them and or they throw it to you and it lands and it makes a sound, you give it back. And then suddenly you're into this exchange. So that's always nice and surprising. There's also the use of different sounds. And that's something that also became really important was, you know, understanding that in, in terms of, and across all elements of education, I think, particularly with engaging with those who face challenges, is we have to challenge ourselves on what our perception of music or language or art or um, maths even is and what it means to those users. And, you know, not everyone needs the kind of straight rhythmic, normal kind of, you know, normal music, as you might say. And some people want to explore some different ways of doing that and exploring different sounds. I mean, we used to do um a lot of stuff with autistic students and you know teachers would walk by the room and there was kind of a crazy sound coming out which was essentially part of a big improvised mashup that we were just you know making sounds with these kids they were making sounds back and we were just totally going with it and they'd walk past and you know they'd walk past and their faces would just be like what is going on in there but it would be so arresting that they'd stop because they'd be like what is going on in there sounds like someone's torturing a cat and they'd stop and they'd listen and then they'd sit down and they'd be, they'd be kind of captivated. And it's that thing of once you're hooked into the narrative and it's the narrative that's so important. It doesn't it's not the notes that you play. It's that you do play right. and that you play with other people. And that's the, the most important thing that, that we all, I think we all grasp around music, music education is it's, you know, the, the notes don't matter so much initially. I mean, yes, when you get to doing performance stuff and that's fine, you, know, you need to toe the line, but music is something you do with other people. And it's the fact that you do play and you play with someone else or a group. And it doesn't matter what you play, there's that you do it. And so going back to this example, you know, we had uh, just surprising sounds, um, a student in one example, and this wasn't myself, it was another educator, a guy called uh, Lewis. Anyway, or was it you? I have to go back and remember, but working with this group and this one chap, he wouldn't engage, he couldn't get him to take part in the group, but all the while, uh, this young man was very interested by latches and locks and, uh, you know, handles, and he would go and play with the handle, and he was obviously listening to it, and a lot of, a lot of people with various kind of um, challenges, they, you know, they like in various sounds, whether it's scrubbing through a continuous kind of loop on YouTube or playing with a switch or playing with a particular buckle or toy. And what they're, what's happening there is they're creating a, a stable repeating sensory environment that they manage. And by repeating and playing that sound or repeating that action over again, you create a stable environment for you to be in when perhaps when you don't do that, you're getting really sensitive overload and it's, you know, very challenging for you. Anyway, this young guy, he loved, he loved this handle. So we thought, well, I'll record the sound of the handle and put it on the scoop. So we did that and showed him that you could make that same sound on the scoop. And he was intrigued and he came over, he touched it and we didn't pitch it initially and just, that got him hooked in. And then we began to pitch the sounds that were, you know, started to kind of adjust the samples. They started to make a scale. And he ended up playing a kind of percussive handle member or something. I don't know what you would call it. It was a very odd sound, but it was his sound. And that's, again, another thing is, is helping students find their own sounds and 
the ability to record with the software and manipulate samples and play with voice. I mean, that's another incredibly powerful thing that you can do, not just with Scoop, but with any kind of recording device. Right. But giving those that don't necessarily have full control of their own sounds or their bodies, the ability to create and control sounds that they make. And this goes, I mentioned in, in, in the beginning, talking about, you know, those who really face challenges moving and controlling movement in relation to Skoog and particularly music and special needs. That ability to, when you don't have control of your own body and when you can't necessarily control your voice as well, you can, to be able to control a sound and a sound in space is, is such a powerful thing. And I think, you know, we, we can take it for granted that we, in terms of maybe you or, or people who, who can speak well and control these things, but it's amazing, an amazing thing. You, you, you make a sound and you are physically present in the space around you for everyone else to hear and interact with. It's, it's an in, when you think about it, step back from it, it's, it's really an, an amazing thing. That air that comes from your lungs is physically in touch with your body and that other people can feel that. It's, it's movement from you that is sound. It's multi-sensory and it carries information and it's, it's at your beck and call. And we can, we can you know, manipulate it, make it quiet or make it loud and high and low and, ooh, and do all kinds of crazy stuff with it at our will. And when you can't do that, when that is denied you, that has a, it has a massive impact on your interaction with the world and particularly with other people. So to give people the opportunity, whether it's with school or any other kind of music making device or technology, to control sound and to create it for themselves, to be able to have control over it in their environment, it's a really powerful thing. It's incredibly motivating and it helps them gain access back to that kind of core world of musicality that we need to grow and develop and to share time with other people. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's one of the really important aspects of this. And I, I think that it's something that really hasn't been tapped into uh, until just recently. Yeah, no, and it, and there's interesting things happening. No, there's, I mean, we, we have seen early on, there were some things around at the time, but there's, I think there were 50 new, well, there were more than 50 new MIDI controllers released last year. Some good, some bizarre, you know, and the things are happening. People are saying, you know, how, and it's the, the, the main thing with it, and this is the thing that, that shocks some people, but really seemed obvious to me, and that if it's a, not even if it's electronic, there's other things, but if it's an electronic interface, it doesn't, you know, the majority of electronic interfaces until now are just electronic versions of the acoustic counterpart. You know, it looks like a piano or it looks like a, a clarinet or it looks like a guitar. And if it's not making any sound, doesn't have to do that. Doesn't have to do that way. It doesn't have to be so so difficult to use. You know, the fingering doesn't have to be all kind of hold this key down while you do another. And there's elements to kind of, you know, facilitating acoustic musicians into electronics by being able to use the skills that they have, and that's all cool. But in terms of of you know creating some new interfaces, you know, they don't have to. The, the physical acoustic instruments are the, the way they are because of the physics of the universe and the sounds that you're trying to make and control with them. If you're not using them to make the sounds, you don't have to make it so. And so people are trying all kinds of stuff now. You know, there's even the big companies, even Roland, just, they, they just re released their, uh, what's it called? The Bizarre Wind Controller, which is like a hybrid between, you know, a flute, a clarinet, a saxophone, and various other things. It's got all kinds of 
gidgetry going on in it. Or you've got Rolly's tactile keyboard. You've got you know, all kinds of touch interface instruments on the iPad. You've got things like Skoog. Uh, there was AlphaSphere kicking around. Uh, there's iRig, which is the kind of... Um, a cam-based device that you use, you know, for controlling sounds. All kinds of, yeah, really exciting development going on. I think what's amazing is it's it's just making, bringing more people to music, in, in allowing more people to get creative at a younger age, I think. And I think that will only benefit music as a whole in terms of what we can make and share and listen to and, and enjoy. What is next for the Skoog? What's next for Skoog? Uh, well... There's still um, more functionality to add physically. There's more interactivity that we can get from the device in terms of how um, sophisticatedly you can kind of control and map signals. I think um, more kind of people are asking for access to the kind of the kind of the data, the, the kind of control stuff themselves. They want to be able just to map it how they want on the kind of tech side. And even in the education kind of world to be able to, you know, use it for controlling different things. So all of these things are on our radar to take, you know, as well as evolving the kind of musical capacity. And we've also got a couple of um, bespoke synth kind of sounds that we've been working on that we're going to be hopefully releasing very soon that um, we should have, uh, we've been working on for a while that, you know, we alluded to in Indiegogo. There's some stuff. I mean, that's another thing is sometimes people ask, you know, what does a Skoog sound like? And we always used to use it, you know, with these emulations of acoustic instruments because there's this whole, you know, drive to engage in orchestras and be able to sit alongside acoustic instruments. But I think, you know, we're actually getting close to being able to release what we feel is the real sound of Skoog, which is more of a more of a synth hybrid thing going on that really responds to the different kind of touches. So there's that, there's connectivity in terms of Android and, and other kind of uh, platforms. And, uh, you know, we would, you know, we're, we're keen as we grow, we'd like to start playing with different form factors as well and, and growing the family of Skoog devices so that uh, whilst the Cube is great and the five size and it affords a level that really is an entry point for so many people and does give a range of options. But, you know, um, we'd like to, explore different things as well, both in the hardware and the software. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking into what else we can do with our kind of tactile technology, this, this use of this more kind of sensory touch experience to control, do different things or do more interesting things musically. And we also, we have to ask, uh, where did the name Skoog come from? Ah, so the the name uh, it's myself. I'm one half of of Skoog, as it were, in terms of the the founding two inventors partners. So I'm Ben Schergler, or Schogler. Um, I've got an Og in my name, an Og, and um, my partner and partner in crime is Dr. David Scalina, and he is the Ska. So he's the Ska, and I'm the Og. Yeah. And uh, we stuck them together, literally half and half, and uh, we thought that looks nice. Um, but we had a, what was really important to us is that it wasn't a KR9 2000. <laughs> it needed to have a personality because, you know, we had this funny cube and with these good bits and whatnot. And it had a personality and it was, it was our baby as well, you know, so, so much into this. So we had a few different names and we went back to the kids in the school that we, schools we've been working with and we asked them and they chose Skoog. And so since that day, it's been, it's been called Skoog. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant word. 
uh, I have to say. Yeah. It's so much fun to say. <laughs> I thought, I said last week, you know, if uh, this should have been a word a long time ago. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, we need to make sure we do it right and, and <laughs> let, it, let it have its day. Well, it's so unique. I mean, if you Google Skoog, you come up with your device all over the place. And then I think yeah. uh, the name of uh, a guy who wrote a book on chemistry. Uh, it's, yeah. It's and there's also unique. a plastic surg surgery procedure as well in terms of uh, a piece of nasal surgery, I think, that oh, has, really? has, has a reference to it. You can get your nose Skoogged. <laughs> yeah so i always thought it, it was it would be a good name for a snack as well like something like a skittle but with sounds, like a gummy center it sounds tasty it does and actually you know that was an issue with the original scoop that did get bitten quite a bit <laughs> uh, tasty um but the new scoop is a much uh, much tougher coat and much the, the the polyurethane rubber is more bite resistant not bite proof yet uh, uh so you can still have a bit of a nibble <laughs> Which incidentally, that would be interesting, something to develop too, like a chew toy for a dog that could create music. Like we could. Yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, I'm writing it down. There's something in that. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of the jingle dogs, we got the scoog dogs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or even better, you know, you could since the manufacturer used to create uh, stress balls, you could make a, a stress ball that screams. When you when you squeeze it, that that would be really therapeutic too. I feel. Like. Maybe load lo load the scream of 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 the desire. <laughs> uh, focus. That's right. Focus. Focus. Yes, no. There's there's all all kinds of of, of uh, there's fun things you can do with squeezing. And Absolutely. It's uh, an area to be explored. I think uh, uh, on many levels. I guess we're, we'll let you get back to your evening. All right, no worries. Well, look, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. And yeah, yeah, any questions? Always get in touch with us at uh, support at Scoog Music. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll link to to the website in the show notes, and we'll include all the video links uh, as well. Cool. All right. Awesome. Then. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks so much for coming on. No yes, worries. Take you. care. Speak to you soon. Okay, Ben. Right. Take care. Thanks. Bye, -bye. Bye. Bye. Well, that was interesting. Yeah, it's a very uh, unique, cool device. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun to play with and um, yeah, it's, well, nice, it's even... nice to see people being able to be creative in in new ways when they might not have been able to. Well, it was really interesting hearing about the developmental side of it. I I, I didn't even really, you know, in playing around with it, um, I didn't even really think about that part of it. But yeah, that would be something just to just to have kids be able to create soundscapes. And to create sound and control the sound like he was talking about, mm -hmm. I could see how that would be a very powerful thing. Yeah. Definitely. But there's really nothing like it out there other than the Skoog, right? I guess the Beams is sort of? Mm, not really. Yeah, no, no it's, uh, the Beams no. isn't tactile like the like the Skoog is. The, the Beams is cool, and, it, and it's got a lot of... Um, um, you know, it, it can be switch accessed, uh, you know, you're on the normal device itself. You're just breaking a light beam to, to trigger a, a sound. Right. Um, Skoog actually lets you provide emphasis as well, mm -hmm. uh, as well as having that tactile interface. So. And can you sample with the beams? No, I don't believe so. I don't uh, double check. Yeah. Mm. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Not sure. So I, I know mean... there are a bunch of samples that are included with the beams, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure you can import your own no, i don't remember yeah i don't know because even the sampling part of the skoog software is 
pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you can sample a sound and then you can pitch it up, pitch it down, change keys, um, even that alone, and then tie it into any sort of MIDI. I think you can tie it into GarageBand. Mm -hmm. There's yeah. all sorts of stuff that you can actually do with the software. So the software suite itself is pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty neat. You know, these guys are really kind of the first on the block. It seems to to doing this. So, well, I don't know that they're the, they're the first on the block. I mean, essentially, it's a it's a MIDI device. Yeah. Um, so it's in terms of its interface, it's not unique, but it's sorry I, sh I shouldn't say that in terms of its connectivity uh, yeah. to to other musical systems it's not unique but in terms of its interface it is unique that the, the you know the cube shape the the different textures and, and uh you know being able to play it with your feet your elbow you yeah. know bang it against your nose under your arm you know, as under your arm yeah you know and, and make it sound like a brass woodwind you know instrument Definitely yeah. opens the doors to people with, you know, physical yeah, different issues, abilities, yeah. different abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I thought that, that Bill from Dancing Dots brought up a good point last week in the sense that, you know, now that inclusion is becoming a lot more prevalent in the schools and we've kind of got the basics covered, mm -hmm. now we can, I feel, I feel like stuff like music and inclusion into music is something that's growing now that the basics are covered, I don't know what's what. What do you do you have any sense of that? Well, it's that's a really hard to say. You know, I'm not in the education systems and kind of seeing what's going on, but it'd be really interesting to actually take a skug, you know, to a school system, have somebody you know sit down, play with it for a couple of weeks, and be able to participate in their band or you know their orchestra with the skoog and to see what the reaction is from the teacher from the other students um you know they're seeing a lot of it in the uk being done right but how inclusive are we here in canada I, that i don't know yeah it's a good question yeah it's the sort of device that you would think would do really well in a in a school environment you know even if you know if a any school that had a band program had a skoog it would it would allow students who might not have been able to participate in band to to be a part of it absolutely yeah 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 and i mean that would be ex really exciting it would be but i mean i think it even goes beyond that i mean what i found really interesting was when he was talking about using it with autistic kids and they were just able to hit the thing and make a sound and you know and make their own sound like the kid with the handle yeah. mm -hmm. um i could see how that could be a really powerful experience but we should really play with ours more. Yes, we should. Uh, that that actually that conversation made me want to break it out and and actually, we should we should Scoot play with jam. it more and we should make a make a video of it or something. Scoot we jam. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should see what we could do. So hey, we have a website. www.atbanter.com, where you can email us at atbanterpodcast at gmail .com. We're also available on Twitter, Facebook, Google Plus. YouTube, SoundCloud. Where can't you find us? We're just everywhere. We iTunes, are. Stitcher. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you can also visit the Aroga Technologies website. Yeah, that's true. You can. It's at uh, www.aroga.com. And uh, while you're on there, look up a skoog. Absolutely. And that is going to do it for us.
I think so. So, I've been Rob Minot. I've been Rocky Raccoon. I am Groot. <laughs> it's Rocket Raccoon, not Rocky Raccoon. No, no, Rocky Raccoon. It's a musical theme. Beatles, All right. you know. Oh, I see. All right, fine. The Rocky Raccoon Picture Show. There That's you right. Go. I'm just a sweet raccoon. <laughs> Bye. We're, we're losing it here. Right. See ya. Bye. See you next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Aroga Technologies. Visit Aroga Technologies online at www.aroga.com. That's A-R-O-G-A.com. Music provided by bensound.com.